Thank you for that. Good morning, everyone. You know, before we get into the wisdom of Proverbs, I wanted to just take a little bit of time to reflect on the, that, those last stanzas there. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. I come to you this morning as maybe some of you will join me in confession that that's for sure my story. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. How often our hearts and our minds can stray so easily from the truth of God and the way he intends for us to walk. And not only is that my story kind of in a daily basis, but it really is my story in life. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. And at this time of year, as I come up on another recognition of a year of grace that God has sown in my life, it just always gives me an opportunity to reflect on my story of wandering. You know, I was born in a, in a loving home, but without a dad, and therefore lacked good, wise counsel. There was, there was never a dad to put a hand on his shoulder and say, son, do this, or try that, or you can, you can do it. You know? and, and maybe some of you have that story as well, or maybe grew up with a dad present in home, but not present and active in your life with good and wise counsel. So from an early age, the world became my counsel. The world was my guide, as well as media and what I saw on television and what I read about, and, and also what the masses were saying and doing, and, and, and prone to wander, Lord, both in doctrine and in conduct from a young age as a teenager all the way through my adulthood, um, I wandered without counsel, without guidance. Uh, I wandered into some really great highs. I mean, I saw some really wonderful things, but also a lot of lows, a lot of really, really dark, dark places. I got lost in, in lust, in substances, in pursuit of significance. I felt often like I was in control of my life, but really, truly, I was just wandering. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Now, I was also raised in a home where God was present. Ours was what you might have called a religious family. You know, we had... The, the pictures up on the wall and would occasionally go to church. In fact, my wife or my mom worked very hard to send me to a parochial school so I would at least get a good education. And, and of course, there we did the prayers and we went to chapel each week. And I, I learned enough there that I knew it was not enough. And again, I joined that legion of prodigals that took the story of God and ran off without it, spending out of the riches of his grace and spending out of an identity that wasn't even mine to begin with, abusing myself and abusing others in what I considered a false freedom. I was lost, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Until one day, it was the occasion of my 30th birthday. I, I wasn't really uh, looking for him. He's always been looking for me. And then I began a new story on that day, uh, the, which is the second part of that stanza. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. And as a good friend introduced me to who God is and what Jesus had done to purchase my heart again, the truth of that convicted me, and I responded in the only way I knew I could by saying, Lord, here's my heart. Just take it and seal it. And seal it for your courts above. See, mine was a faith of surrender. I, I'm all in. 
I'm tired of wandering. Thank you, Jesus, for finding me. Now take my heart, take my life, and seal it, store it, lead me, and guide me. Knowing that as I was sealed for his heavenly courts above, that means that his ways were right. His glory was enough. And I asked Jesus to be my Savior. I accepted him as my Lord, and I followed him as my great hope. Now, maybe you're here today, or you're hearing my voice today. And you still feel like in your heart you're wandering. Lord, I feel it. Or worse, you're on the self-guided tour through life, trying to think your way through. I got to tell you, before again we dig into Proverbs for its wisdom, there's more. It really begins with grace and understanding who God is and what Jesus has done to win your heart. Then, there, the cross becomes like this signpost that is both stop and go at the same time. Stop living for yourself and begin to live, go in his grace, in his life. See, I think so often we live in a world where we we think, believe. If I think, believe that God is real, or if I think, believe that Jesus died for me, if I think, believe that when I die, I'll go to heaven, that that's enough. But it really is about saying, Lord, here's my heart. Take it and seal it. Conceal it for your courts above. Let's pray. Fathers, this morning as we think about the value of keeping good and wise and godly counsel in our lives, Lord, I first of all have to recognize that we're prone to wander. We're prone to wander, Lord, we feel it. We're prone to write our own story, to discern our own sense of truth, to live our own way. And Father, you want our hearts, which is why you poured yours out there on the cross and emerged again new from the empty tomb. And you want us to give our hearts to you, not by works or by words or by thinking, but by faith and surrender May we see the cross differently this morning, Father, as that signpost that says both stop, stop living for yourself, give your heart to me, and then go, start new, because in Christ all things are new. So we thank you, Lord, for the presence of your Holy Spirit leading, guiding, and shaping our morning. Lord, I pray that today if anyone's here that feels that urgency to begin new in you, that they would do so. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to talk more about beginning a new story in Christ, I would love, love, love to talk to you about that. This morning, we are going to continue, though. We're in a series uh, out of Proverbs, which is the roadmap to the good life that God has for us. The roadmap to good life that God has for us. A very practical teaching this summer out of the wisdom of Proverbs. And this morning, we're going to talk about the value of keeping good, wise, and godly counsel which I will tell you both from the word and from my own experience, is the most valuable resource we can have in growing in Christian wisdom and character. Because not only does it encourage us to mature, but it also causes us to find our even sense of calling. I think good, wise counsel is essential for us to bear spiritual fruit and discern our own spiritual gifting. And again, more practically, for us to grow in in responsibility, which I often break down for my kids, is the ability to respond. 
in our responsibility to the Spirit, leading us to be more complete as followers of Christ, maybe as a spouse, if we're called into that ministry, as parents, as individuals. I'm talking to all of us who are here today, regardless of age and stage, and especially those of us who are at a new juncture in life. Maybe we're about to begin a move or start a new school year or a new season of high school or, or college. Or, or maybe we're starting to finally feel like we're an adult or a new uh, season of empty nest. Do you know the most valuable resource for growing in Christian wisdom and character is the keeping of good and wise, and I would add godly counsel. Here's why from Scripture. This is from Proverbs. Proverbs 11 14 says, where there is now guidance, a na- where there is no guidance, a nation falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Boy, can we see that. Now again, anytime that Proverbs is talking about good counsel, it's assuming godly counsel, not just someone who's wise at you know, uh, uh, legal things. It's saying assuming godly counsel. But you notice that without good and godly counsel, that's enough corruption that could even destroy a nation. Hmm? What about an individual? What hope would we have? Or pastors? How many of us have watched with lament as pastors of great, great churches have fallen in their own sin? Why? Because they fail to keep good and wise counsel. Proverbs 15.22 echoes that. It says, without counsel, plans can go wrong. But with many advisors, again, assuming godly and good and wise advisors, they will succeed. In the book, How to Read Proverbs, which I found very practical, I know we gave a few of these out if you picked one up, Tremper Longman calls these kind of proverbs antithetical parallelisms. I bet he got paid five bucks for that, isn't that great? Antithetical parallelisms. The contrasting of two paths. You see it there in that scripture. The point here is to present us, the reader, with a fundamental choice between wisdom and folly. Do you see how that works out in those scriptures? There's no guidance, a nation falls. But an abundance of counselors, there is safety. It gives us a fundamental choice between two paths, the path of wisdom, godly wisdom, and the path of folly. Now, these Proverbs demonstrate this choice to us repeatedly. That's actually the point of the whole book of Proverbs, is to present us with a choice. Now, you notice in these antithetical parallelisms, there's not really a gray area there. There's not really like a neutral space. There's no however one can just sort of mutter their way through. There is the path that leads to the good life. Jesus referred to it as the narrow way. Or there's that wide path that may often look good, appear good, but it really is empty and lost. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Now we may think and making this choice that maybe there is a gray area, maybe autonomy, maybe I can just choose my own path. Maybe that's a way of freedom. But that is not the worldview that Proverbs presents. Self-rule is not an option where it could just maybe work out. As again, I'm talking about good and godly counsel is essential, probably our most valuable tool to growing in Christian maturity. And as I was considering all these other uh, resources online about Christian mentoring and really learning a lot, I found this quote from a respected pastor from some time ago that I found was particularly striking. It says that Satan disguises submission to himself 
And I know, I know, it's not often we talk about Satan and his schemes here. When we do, it's nice to pay attention, though. Satan, it says, disguises submission to himself under the ruse, which would be the lie, of personal autonomy. The shift in commitment is never from Christ to evil. You don't often meet people that have surrendered to Christ and said, no, 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 I'm going to choose to follow evil. The choice is more from Christ to self-rule, to relying instead of seeking God's will. Self-interest now rules, and what I want reigns. This is the very essence of sin. See, again, it's not a question of following the way of wisdom and maybe self-autonomy as an option, you know, because we're generally pretty good or good at making our own choices. It really is, according to Proverbs and and according to just the way things work, we're either going to follow this narrow path of, towards a good life in Christ, and His grace, guided by His truth, or there's this wide path of folly that really leads to sin and wandering. Looking at it plain and clearly from Proverbs again, 19.20 says this, Listen, then, to advice, and accept instruction, that you may gain wisdom for the future. There's even a sense in that call to future, to an eternal life. Listen then to, again, good, wisely, godly advice and accept instruction from those who are walking maybe stronger than you. It's an essential tool that God has given us so that we may gain wisdom for the future. Okay, now when Proverbs is talking about counsel, it's speaking in terms of what is guiding you through life. In the Hebrew word that's used quite a bit through Proverbs to talk about guidance or counsel, the word is takbula. Everybody say it together, takbula. Takbula, isn't that fun? It again means guidance or counsel. And again, it can be used either way. Sometimes you use it good and godly counsel, and sometimes takbula is used in, in kind of a, a, you know, using of wrong, wrong kind of counsel. In the practical word picture that the author was giving here, it's the idea of a rudder on a ship. But at the time, they had two rudders often on ships attached to the boat by, by ropes. And you'd want to make sure those rudders are fastened on tightly because those are what are going to navigate you, especially during the troubled waters. So when they talk about takbula, they were talking about wisdom and guidance. But what is ultimately driving or steering the ship of your life? What is guiding you? Is that intentional? Is it connected? Is it strong? Does it have integrity? Now, this idea of these two rudders, a takbula that may be of folly and takbula that may be of godly wisdom, is probably where we get this meme that used to see more in movies or cartoons of like the two images. Remember that back in the day, there'd be like two, uh, an angel and a little devil that would appear on someone's shoulder and they would often be navigating them. Do you ever remember that when you'd see that like in a cartoon or a movie? It's like pop. And there'd be these two figures, and they would be discussing what this person should be doing, and the person's trying to you know, decide between the two. You don't really see that as much. They kind of overuse that meme. But it's that, probably where we get this idea of two rudders from. You know, ultimately, what rudder is guiding us through the ship? This idea of two rudders is echoed in Proverbs 12, uh, 5 to 7. It says, the thoughts of the righteous are just. And again, here comes that parallelism. But the advice of the wicked... Is treacherous. What's guiding your ship? The words of the wicked are a deadly ambush, but the speech of the upright delivers them. What's guiding your ship? 
The wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous will stand. That last part there reminds us of what Jesus talked about when he gave us that also that parallelism of what, where is your house being built? Is it being built on sand? Okay, that's going to collapse at the first storm. Or is, are you building a house on the rock, on the word of God? You notice that even in that, Jesus gave us no third option. There's no neutral space. There's no high ground in which I could be wiser than him and say, no, no, I'm going to go build my house up on the mountain. The way Jesus saw it, it was either either a house on sand, house on rock. No neutral space. My friends, we're either driven by self, by folly, and I say this as one prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, or by the wisdom that comes from the Lord. So what's guiding your ship? I would say that one of the most valuable resources you can have in guiding you towards living that good life before God and good and wisely counsel is to find a good, wise, and godly mentor. Maybe it's a pastor or a professional or someone that is more mature than you. doesn't matter how old they are. But it's the idea that are they more mature, are they more intentional, are they willing to spend time with you in helping to mentor and guide? So these are three things that I would encourage you to look for as baseline for someone that could help you, again, pastorally or even professionally, to provide good and wise counsel. It'd be someone that, first of all, has a clear testimony. Someone whose heart has been surrendered and sealed in Christ. And the reason that's important is because then they would have an awareness of what it is that we're created for, an awareness of the corruption that is sin, and then an awareness of grace and how that can work out in our lives. I would encourage you to find counsel that has grown through trials, one who has suffered well, but their suffering has produced faith and perseverance, as it talks about in the story of James, someone who has endured and yet still remains faithful. Someone who's grown through trial. Because that's where really, really where we find wisdom. Is through someone who has suffered well. I'd encourage you to seek good and wise counsel. Of someone that's willing to speak. Perhaps even the hard truth. To you in love. Again I think about Jesus our Lord. The great counselor who loved. A young man so much that he looked at him. In his desire to grow in his own walk. And he said, you know what's holding you back? It's your love of money. You need to get rid of that. Someone who speaks the hard truth in love. That's a valuable counsel. Now, what's the way of folly? Is there a contrast here? Yeah, I would, I would encourage you, it'd be unwise to trust yourself. I had a friend once tell me, a, a wise, uh, more mature pastor told me once, you are always going to be your own worst counselor. You're free but you're always going to lead yourself towards self-protection and you're unaware of your own sin and your own selfishness. This is true spiritually. This is true in, in personally. This is true in our marriage. I am terrible at counseling myself in my marriage. This is true uh, as a parent. This is true in Christian character. This is true in discerning vocation. We're terrible at counseling ourselves. Yes, we can certainly pray and lean on the Holy Spirit, but we need someone to work with us together, uh, not always trusting yourself for your own wisdom. It's wise to, to, to trust someone who lacks humility. And by that would be maybe somebody who's in it strictly for the pay and, or perhaps someone who does it for pride. 
not in a good and godly sense, but I think about a friend of mine who uh, runs a pretty successful business. It's, it's a, a global company, but he often gets uh, invitations for business consultants to come with him and teach him how to get to the next level. And then he'll look at their resume and find that they've never actually gotten to that next level themselves, but they'll gladly charge you lots of money to share with you their wisdom on how to get to that next level. So someone that lacks humility and a sense of, of uh, spirituality would be someone that's telling you, hey, I'm going to help you get to this next level, but maybe you don't see the fruit necessarily in their own lives. It'd be unwise to trust a yes friend. Now, yes friends are very popular in movies. You'll always see the person in trouble in a movie. They go to a friend, and the friend says, yes, you need to take care of yourself, or yes, you deserve this, or you deserve that. It's someone that only affirms you without ever digging deeper, without ever pressing into the word, without ever saying, Lord, what are you calling us to do? How can we suffer through this trial? Well, it's unwise to trust a yes friend. In contrast, wise counsel happens when we're rooted together. Love those words. Wise counsel happens when we're rooted together. What are we rooted into? Into God's word, of course, and seeking of his purposes. Not looking for quick fixes to life's big problems, but walking together, rooted together in the long haul of learning to bear good fruit in every season and understanding what it takes to endure suffering, to endure through trials. That There are times when the Lord must prune and there are times that the Lord must water. Wise counsel happens when we're rooted together in faith. You see this in Proverbs 12.20, which says, Deceit is in the minds who plan evil, but, there it is, parallelism again, to those who counsel they, peace have joy. Those who counsel peace have joy. Looking at that second part of that text, those who counsel peace have joy. I don't think it's wrong to continue to add on to that list that they would have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. That's what it means to be rooted together. Two that are seeking to grow and bear spiritual fruit together. That's what we aim to build together through the mentoring, through that counseling relationship. It's not just for the one who is being counseled. Both will grow in mutual fruit bearing by the presentation of being together in counsel together. I've seen it. I've seen it my own way because I trust this, that wise counsel is best in relationship. Wise counsel is best sown in relationship. Now, on my notes here, I only have one letter, T, because that's who that is to me. Tim Hoyt is a pastor who I met shortly before I came to faith. I was basically made to have lunch with him once. Oh, you have questions about faith. I know a pastor you can meet with. He can help you. And so I'm out to lunch with a pastor, which was very strange. I've never sat with a pastor for lunch before. And I'm sitting with this guy, Tim Hoyt. And he said, I understand you have some questions about the faith. I sure do. And we started a conversation. But more importantly, we started a relationship. And Tim sat with me and listened to my dumb questions. Didn't judge me one bit. He said, it sounds like you've thought about this a lot. What if I sit with you longer and we kind of work through some of these things? Would it, at some point you, it help you to find Christ and to follow him? I don't know. Maybe. I'll be honest, we never got to my big questions. The Lord called my heart sometime after that. I saw Tim again at church. He said, you know, I understand that you just gave your life to Jesus. I said, I sure did. So happy about that. He's like, you know, I'd love to help you. 
Why don't we get together for breakfast on Friday? We'll talk about what it's like to get started. Sure. We met for uh, breakfast that Friday, 7 o'clock. We met every Friday at 7 o'clock for 10 years. Through my early walk, through my sense of discernment that maybe, the God, maybe God called me out of my old life because he wanted to use me for something else, to I met this girl, she seems really special, to premarital counseling all the way to our wedding every Friday, 7 o'clock. You can see him in the bottom corner there waiting for me one day. Often I was late. <laughs> there were sometimes, probably a year or two into it, I'm like, I don't know why we're still doing this. I don't know what benefit this is having of me. But we kept pressing in and going deeper. Now you can see that the wise counsel of our relationship continued. There's our kids when they're young. They're getting bigger and taller. And you notice that each time, every photo, we seem to be growing closer and closer together. That's what God has done through this counseling relationship that still continues. The only reason it ended is because I moved. And so we stopped having breakfast every morning at seven, every Friday at 7 a.m. And now we have at least two or three phone calls a week, just checking in with each other, praying for each other, asking deep questions. How are you doing with this? How's it going with that? How's this struggle? How's this victory? How are you doing? How are the kids? How are you being a husband? How are you being a brother in Christ? How are you being a dad? How are you at being a pastor? Wise counsel is best found in relationship. And you see this in Proverbs 27, 17. It's a classic passage. Maybe you've heard it before. As iron sharpens iron. Do you see what happens? Iron became iron. And it sharpens iron. In the same way that iron sharpens iron, the one person will sharpen the face of another that's actually the correct translation for that. Joy mentioned it a couple weeks ago, this idea of sharpening the face. What does that mean? It means it shapes our face. Our face often reveals the content of our character. You can tell someone, even when they're in a neutral face, if they're a joyful person because of where their wrinkles lie, or if they're a warrior, or if they're a complainer. Iron sharpens iron, and one person can help shape the face of another. And when I see the overwhelming joy on Tim, who would confess to you if he were here, he hadn't always been a most joyful person. Iron has sharpened iron, and one person helped sharp, shapen the face of another. Where are you, friends? Have you submitted yourself to receiving good and wise and godly counsel? Are you prone to wander, Lord, you feel it? This is a relevant question regardless of your age or how long you've been attending church, or how long you've been walking. Too often we can kind of fake pretend our way through, wandering from, being guided by anything that comes before us. Let's recognize, first of all, the great counselor is the Holy Spirit, who within us longs to join us with others in learning to apply God's word as the roadmap to the good life. And the one who did it best, of course, is our Lord Jesus who is present every time two or three gather in my name. There I am. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this invitation that you've given us to grow in our faith, God, that just coming to faith is just the beginning of a new story. Lord, you want to grow us. You want us to bear fruit. You want us to mature in faith to the glory of your name. 
until that great and wonderful day, Lord, we stand in your courts and you shower us with grace again. Father, continue to lead us and guide us. And if we're here this morning and we have that sense that we're wandering a little bit through life and not really sure what rudder is driving us, Father, would you lead us to begin to find good and wise and godly counsel, someone that will be rooted together with us, that stays in relationship with us, that helps us to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And Lord, for those of us who are here who maybe feel they have resources to give, time to give, to mentor someone else, to pray for them, to be like that Tim Hoyt to another. God, would you give a calling to our senior ministries here, to our senior friends here who have that wisdom, who would love to pour that into the next generation. Father, help keep us united as one church in you, walking on that narrow path, leading to the good life. It's all worth it, and we thank you for guiding us in Jesus' name. Amen.